40 days following the resurrection of Jesus. He is with his disciples during this time, and he is revealing himself, teaching them about the kingdom of God, giving them insight and understanding about his accomplished work and about the mission that is before them. Fifty days after his resurrection will be the day of Pentecost. This is in a very important time. And Luke records for us that during this time, Jesus said to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so because of this emphasis of Jesus, we are studying what the prophets have to say. How they reveal Jesus, what is written about him, and what they present to us concerning Jesus. Jesus wants us to know what the prophets say. He wants us to understand how he is revealed and how he has fulfilled the prophetic word that is being spoken. Last week, we began looking at Ezekiel's prophecy. And we will continue again this week looking at the second part of Ezekiel. Let's take a few minutes to enlarge our understanding and our overview of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel is fascinating. There are things that we cannot understand, but there is much that we can understand. There are many truths for us to glean from Ezekiel. Very important things that God wants you to read and to know. And so I hope that you have been following our reading schedule as we're going through Immerse Prophets. After this week, we will move on from Ezekiel. But please take time this week to read and to immerse yourself in the details of God's Word. Because He wants us to understand what He is doing, how things are revealed and fulfilled in Jesus, and His purposes for us. In our study today, we are going to be looking at the second half of Ezekiel, beginning with chapter 34, in a sermon that we are entitling, Everything New. We read these words in Revelation 21 and verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Looking back over our study from last week, there are a number of things that we want to take note of as we begin our study in chapter 34. Ezekiel was an exiled refugee priest in Babylon. He had been deported in the first of three deportations by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. In that first deportation were some of the important leaders, the prominent people. And because he was a priest, he was among that number. 
He had been in Babylon in a refugee camp for five years. And on his 30th birthday, he received a supernatural vision of the glory of God. And he was given insight into the transcendent realm, the invisible realm, the realm where God exists, where all spiritual beings live and interact. And as he recorded it, he said, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Other prophets like Isaiah and Daniel had extraordinary visions. But Ezekiel's was so unparalleled that we can only find one elsewhere in Scripture that is comparable. The vision of the Apostle John in Revelation. Ezekiel's vision of God was, in fact, a vision of the Son of God in his pre-incarnate glory. When the Word was with God and the Word was God. John saw the Son of God in his exalted post-incarnate glory after his resurrection and his ascension. There are over 80 parallels between the prophecy of Ezekiel that was given in around 595 BC and the revelation of the Apostle John 700 years later, given around AD 96. 700 years separating these two men of God, who both by the Spirit of God were given insight and understanding into the transcendent realm. And yet, despite the 700 years separating them, they saw many, many things, and they saw the same things. For example, both had a revelation of one like a son of man. Now, that word like dominates both of their prophecies. Because it is the transcendent realm, all that they can do is express in words that are like what they know and what they understand. One like the Son of Man. He was overwhelming, overpowering in his appearance. And for both of them, when they saw him, they fell at his feet, completely overpowered by the aura of this one, like a Son of Man. Both saw four living creatures and described them with the same detail. The faces of a man, an ox, a lion, and an eagle. And as we saw in our study last week, these four faces represent the incarnate glory of the Son of God. As he is revealed in the gospel. And as he carries out his mission as the Savior of the world. And John wrote many years later. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. One of the most significant parallels, and one that provides a foundation for our study today, both prophecies address a point in time 
when the sinfulness of humanity has reached such an egregious point that there was no longer an opportunity given by God for repentance. And perhaps this is the worst and most dreadful thing. There was no inclination on the part of people to repent. Despite everything that they knew, despite every revelation that was being given to them, whether in Ezekiel's day or in the revelation that John received, the people had no inclination to turn away from their sin toward God. No heart at all for God. For Ezekiel, it was the people of Israel. For the apostle John, the entire human population in the world. Both detail God's declared words and actions of irrevocable judgment against the sinfulness of people and nations. One notable feature is that in both cases, judgment began with the holy place. In Ezekiel, it's the temple and the people who are in the temple. In Revelation, it began with the churches and the people in those churches. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans and said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I find it interesting that as astronomers are able to explore further and further into the universe, this universe that they consider having developed with an awesome and big bang. As they are able to see images and take pictures, that again and again, they classify what they see with some godlike description or words that reference God, even though they do not believe that God created the heavens and the earth. For me, it's further proof that God has revealed himself, his eternal power and his divine nature. It is understood from what is seen and what has been made. And even though we don't want to believe, we can't find any other way to classify what is in existence except by making some kind of reference to God. The Apostle Paul continued, What shall we conclude then? 
do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The writer to Hebrews writes, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is where the people of Ezekiel's day find themselves. They have fallen in a dreadful way into the hands of the living God. This is where the people who John saw as he was given a vision about the future, our time and the imminent time beyond today. People who were falling into the hands of the living God, and it was dreadful. In Psalm 97, we read these words. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. Take note of those words, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. The final word and the ultimate outcome belong exclusively to God. He is the final arbiter of right and wrong. He is the judge of the living and the dead. The eternal one who will call everyone and everything to an ultimate accounting. Hundreds of years earlier in Deuteronomy, Moses had warned the people about choosing life, not death. He had warned them against copying the actions, the attitudes of the nations around them. He had told them to remain true to God who had chosen them, who had made them his special possession, and not to corrupt and defile themselves by behaving in the same way that the nations around them 
behaved. And then he warned them that if they adopted the idols, and if they worshiped the same things that the godless nations around them worshiped, that the land that they were in would vomit them out. They would lose their inheritance. They would be invaded by other nations. They would be carried away in exile. They would lose everything. And now the warnings of Moses from hundreds of years earlier are being fulfilled. Israel was experiencing the irrevocable justice of God. The time of warning was past. The opportunities to repent were past. And as we noted, equally tragic, the people had lost all desire to turn from their sin and turn to God. It's why the writer to Hebrews exhorts us over and over again and says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the wilderness. Remember that that generation hardened their hearts towards God. They never entered the promised land, but they died in the desert. Human nature repeats the same patterns of sinfulness. And the people of Ezekiel's day had followed in the same way. God had warned them over and over again through Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, and many of the other prophets, but they had hardened their hearts, intent on doing what they wanted to do. And now the opportunity had passed. Remember that it was the same in the day of Jesus. He wept over Jerusalem. If you had only known your appointed time in which you could be saved. But now that time has passed. And the only thing that is left for you is an irrevocable judgment. God's justice and judgment will be accomplished. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He will have the final word. But there is more. In Psalm 89, in verse 7, we read, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. In chapter 34 of Ezekiel's prophecy, he writes, Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? The second half of Ezekiel's prophecy begins with the Lord's judgment against self-centered shepherds, the very ones he had appointed to take care of his sheep, to teach them the difference between right and wrong, to lead them to a place 
where they could experience God's blessing instead of God's judgment on sin. But they had not done so. They had enriched themselves through their ministry. They had profited personally off the work of God. They were self-centered, they were self-concerned, and they were self-enriching. And God declared that he himself is the enemy of these shepherds, and that he will hold them accountable. And he followed that word of judgment with this declaration. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. One of the means by which Jesus revealed his incarnate glory as the Son of God was through a series of I am statements. And we find those I am statements specifically in the Gospel of John. Now we go back to the Old Testament book of Exodus. And Moses inquired of God when God confronted him in the burning bush and called him to return to Egypt to lead his people out. And Moses inquired of the name of this God who was sending him. And God declared, I am that I am. A word that spoke of his eternal, preeminent, and divine existence. A name that set him apart from every other God that anyone had or would ever believe in. Jesus came, and in his ministry he declared, I am. The Pharisees took great offense. They understood what Jesus was declaring. He was making himself equal with God. A position that he did indeed hold as the Son of God, the Word who was with God and the Word who was God. And yet they rejected the truth that he could be God, the I Am. Now, when God made statements like this in the Old Testament, it was to give people revelation of who he is, what he is like, his character, and for them to understand his purposes. Likewise, when Jesus declared, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven, I am the living water, I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was making the same kind of exclusive statements regarding his nature, his ability, sufficiency, capacity as God to be the savior of the world, to lead people out of darkness 
into God's eternal light, to make them right with God, to be the one mediator and the one way by which people would be able to come out from under God's judgment of their sin and be reconciled to God. Remember that the prophets spoke of Jesus. And drawing on this passage from Ezekiel, Jesus declared, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the sheep. The hired hand runs away because he is working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. And then Jesus repeated himself again, I am the good shepherd. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Note everything that Jesus declared in this passage. If you have read Ezekiel 34, you have been able to find a number of things that correlate between what the Lord said about those shepherds and what he would do through the new shepherd and the words of Jesus. Jesus describes in the Gospels how he came to seek and to save the lost. He pictured himself as a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and 99 were safe in the fold, but one was lost. And he went out to find that one and to bring it back. Jesus described the work that he would do as a shepherd to find all the sheep that had been scattered whether they were part of the sheepfold of Israel or part of the sheepfold across the scattered world of the Gentiles. And he would gather them under himself and there would be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is God's final word. The apostle Paul wrote, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In a subsequent vision, the Lord took Ezekiel to a valley that was filled with human bones. Skeletons that had fallen apart. Bones disconnected one from the other. And the Lord posed the question to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, can these bones live? 
And Ezekiel responded with the most appropriate response. Lord, you're the one who knows the answer to that question. Ezekiel could not see any way in which these bones could live. It would take a sovereign and supernatural act of God. And God led Ezekiel to walk through that valley and then to speak to those bones. And as Ezekiel watched, those bones began to come together, one joining another at a joint, large bones, minute bones, until there was an entire skeleton. And then skin covered those bones. And then God told Ezekiel again to speak. And the Spirit of God began to blow from the winds. And those bones became alive. And they possessed a new heart. And God spoke to Ezekiel and declared that this represented the new people that he was going to create. A new work that he was going to do out of the people whose hearts were dead, whose lives were dead, who had no desire for him, who had no capacity and no ability to do what was right. Of his own accord, God was going to do a supernatural work. And he was going to give them a new heart. He was going to make them a new creation. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by a work of God. A work of God apart from anything that you and I can bring to it. Again and again, the Apostle Paul would use that description of death. Sin brings death. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. When Nicodemus inquired concerning the kingdom of God, Jesus said, I tell you that unless a man is born again by the Spirit of God, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and said, If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within you, he will make you alive. Writing to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. A new shepherd who will be the ultimate and the final shepherd. A new creation with a new heart by the Spirit of God. In the final chapters, the Lord reveals to Ezekiel a detailed and elaborate plan for a new temple. Within the specifications are a myriad of details that point to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And to a day, 
when there will be a full manifestation of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Again, if you haven't done so, I encourage you to go to those chapters and to read the details. You won't be able to grasp everything that is being said. You won't be able to picture it in your mind. It is too large. It is too detailed. It is too elaborate. But if you ask the Spirit of God to open your eyes as you read, you will see within those specifications a myriad of details, numbers, protocol, directions that can only be fulfilled when you and I look at the finished work of Jesus Christ that is presented to us in the New Testament. The writer to Hebrews wrote, but when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of bulls and calves, but he entered the most holy place, speaking of the most holy place, the temple in heaven, once for all, by his own blood, obtaining an eternal redemption. As Ezekiel's vision is completed, we read these words in chapter 48 and verse 12. Fruit trees will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. In the Apostle John's revelation of Jesus Christ, we read these words in chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Hallelujah. Ezekiel saw it. It will be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Everything new. The final words of Ezekiel's prophecy say, and the name of the city from that time on will be, the Lord is there. Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. Now those words have a fulfillment for you and I in Jesus Christ today. For Jesus has said to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
He has instructed us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And as we do, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the world. He has told us that whenever two or three come together in his name, he is there in the midst of us. Jehovah Shema. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that is declared in the Old Testament. And he is with us. But there is an even greater fulfillment yet to come. The Apostle John wrote, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. I want to pause for a moment and direct your attention back to our immersed Bibles. And page 387, if you have it handy. At this point, Ezekiel is in the midst of receiving this detailed revelation of the temple. And he sees the glory of God, which he had previously seen, leave the temple in Jerusalem, returning to this new temple. And he wrote, Then the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner courtyard, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And I heard someone speaking to me from within the temple, while the man who had the measuring rod stood, Beside me, the Lord said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place where I will put my feet. I will live here forever among the people of Israel. They and their kings will not defile my name any longer by their adulterous worship of other gods or by honoring the relics of their kings who have died. They put their idol altars right next to mine with only a wall between them and me. They defiled my holy name by such detestable sin, so I consumed them in my anger. Now let them stop worshiping other gods and honoring the relics of their kings, and I will live among them forever. Now listen to these words. Thinking of what John heard the one seated on the throne say to him, Son of man, describe to the people of Israel the temple I have shown you, so they will be ashamed of their sins. Let them study its plan, and they will be ashamed of what they have done. Describe to them all the specifications of the temple, including its entrances and exits, 
and everything else about it. Tell them about its decrees and laws. Write down all these specifications and decrees as they watch, so they will be sure to remember and follow them. And this is the law, the basic law of the temple, absolute holiness. The entire top of the mountain where the temple is built is holy. Yes, this is the basic law of the temple. John heard the very same words being spoken to him. Write it down. He wrote down and he made clear this truth. That only those who are in Jesus Christ have their names written in the book of life. Only those whose names are written in that book of life will be present in this wonderful place when God makes everything new. When God takes away every effect of sin. Everyone who lives the godless way of this idol worshiping world will be rejected from this beautiful and this wonderful place. You and I need to make certain that we are in Christ, for Jesus is God's final word and humanity's final hope. We said earlier that righteousness and justice were the foundation of God's throne. But love and faithfulness goes before him. And so Jesus went before the justice and the righteousness of God. And to pay the penalty demanded by that righteousness and justice for sin, Jesus died on the cross. That is the only way that you and I can experience the love and the faithfulness of God. Anyone who does not receive Jesus Christ experiences only the justice of God according to his righteous judgment. They experience none of the love and the faithfulness of God. They are not part of the new that God has for them. But what about you and I who have experienced it? How do we live? Remember these words in Ezekiel that I just read. Let the people study the details of this temple so that they will be ashamed of what they have done and will serve me in holiness. All too often people receive Jesus Christ and then they sort of go on their way and live their lives. You and I need to study the word of God. We need to study Jesus. We need to study why he laid down his life as our good shepherd to save us from our sins. We need to study the grace of God. We need to study the work that was done because Jesus shed his blood. We need to understand the depth of our sin and our need for Jesus. And then as the Apostle Paul wrote, we need to set our eyes on things above, set our hearts on things above where Jesus is and not on earthly things. We need to perfect 
holiness. Live as God's people distinctly following Jesus and not the ways of this world. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said, The Lord's foundation is firm, inscribed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord turn away from sin and unrighteousness. Timothy, flee what is ungodly and pursue love, peace, righteousness, and godliness. John's prophecy closes with these words. The one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is the beginning and the end, the one whose words is faithful and true, says this. Surely I am coming soon and my reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. May it be that you and I are able to say, as John wrote, the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus. Is your heart longing for Jesus to return? Or is it attached to this world and you aren't feeling anything for the return of Jesus Christ? While there is still opportunity, bring your heart to him. Pray that he would give you a new heart. And he would take away from you every desire to identify with, to live for, to be like this godless world. And give you a desire to set your heart on things above. So that you might be part of that new world that he has created. For those who are looking for his righteous appearing. May you live for him and for him alone. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and there was nothing that we could do about our sinfulness, you sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. We thank you for his resurrection and that by faith in him, we are raised to a new life and eternal life in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have, for the future and the destiny that is ours, for a day that is coming when we shall experience the fullness of your eternal life in ways that we cannot begin to imagine. Father, we pray that we would live toward that day. We pray that we would not live in any way that reflects this world with its determination to do what it wants and to live any way that it desires. Father, may our hearts be for you. This week, may you find us often opening your word, wanting to know 
what you have to say to us. Wanting to be cleansed and washed by your word. Wanting our minds to be renewed so that we think the thoughts of Christ and live for the values of eternity. When you come, Lord Jesus, we want to be ready. And so we pray that you would speak to us and work in us. And that we will live for you and for you alone, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.